Honesty, Ewi. Welcome back to the Candle Tales podcast, where we tell stories from Irish mythology, folklore, and chat about them afterwards. This is the second episode in our new series, The Tawn Mosaic, which we're retelling the Tawn from different perspectives and, well, in a mosaic form of way, we're coalescing the entire story from different tales that you may not have heard told before. This is a story, a huge tale of tragedy, frustration, and ruin. This particular story is story of all ill. This podcast is brought to you by our sponsors at Patreon. You can join them over at patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales or make a one-time donation on our PayPal button in the website candlelittales.ie. Stay connected, share, above all else, just enjoy the stories. Hey, Sorka, tell us a story, will you? All ill. Olil Magmatok had never been treated or spoken to like this in his life. He had never been rejected like this in his life. And as he stood in the corridor outside his own bedchamber, the one he usually shared with his wife, and he felt the cold seep up through the soles of his feet from the flagstones under them. And he heard the sounds that were coming through that door. He had never felt such burning humiliation and rage. Oliel was a son of kings, He was a warrior of renown. And he had won the heart of the most intoxicating woman in the land. Coming to Connacht first as her bodyguard, Oliel and Maeve had begun an affair. And when her husband, the King of Connacht, found out, he challenged Oliel to single combat, and Oliel... Oliel killed the King for his lady love. He could remember that day. He could remember the fear in the other man's eyes as they circled each other. He could see this king, Tinny McConry, was aware that he could not win. Knew that Oliel was the better warrior, but Oliel could see in his eyes how his pride drove him to stupidity, to recklessness, to self-destruction. He could see it and he could sneer at it. And he cut that man down. And he felt like the greatest hero. Because he had freed the woman he loved. He knew Maeve. She was as proud as he was. And he knew that she was not a person who could be owned. So many men tried to own her 
to control her, to contain her. And Olya laughed at them all in their folly. He understood that with a woman like Maeve, there was no controlling. There was no containing. There was witnessing. There was basking. There was enjoying. There was occasionally redirecting. There was delighting in her ferocity. But to try and contain her was to set yourself at odds with her. And Maeve did not tolerate that well. And Aulil had no desire to dim her light, to trap or trammel her. She was as she was, burning bright as fire, intoxicating even to be around. And because he understood her, because he knew her, because he delighted in her, he was the only man, the only man of all her lovers, all her consorts, all her kings, all her husbands, who had ever managed to keep her. Not contain, but companion. He wasn't sure when it had started. When she'd begun to slip away from him. He tried to think back as he made his way back down the corridor to find somewhere else to sleep. Which was becoming a frequent occurrence. They'd had a fight. They occasionally had their fights. This one had stung her a little bit more because he had won and she had lost. He'd proven to her in the counting of their possessions that he was a little wealthier than she was because of a gift she'd given him. The gift of a bull calf that grew into an incredible specimen of a bull with wide-spreading white horns. Fionnbanok, they'd decided to call him. He was the pride of Oliel's herds and he was the only thing that had set them apart in their wealth. Oliel couldn't quite remember how that fight had started. Was that the beginning of it, he wondered. But they could have come back from that. They would have come back from that. They'd had fights before. They'd have fights again. All it would have taken was a little patience, a little conversation, a little gentleness. As much as he knew his wife was not a woman to be tamed or controlled, he also knew she was not someone who had a great tolerance for weakness. A certain amount of fighting was to Maeve, seasoning in her food. They'd come back together in time and sparks would fly. 
when they made up. It was the timing of the thing. If Fergus McRoy had arrived a month sooner or a month later, before they had the quarrel or after they'd made up, Oliel would be in his own bed and his own wife and Fergus would be looking for somewhere to sleep. He'd known from the second Fergus walked into the hall that Maeve was going to take the man to her bed. Fergus was a huge, imposing warrior. Tall and handsome. That was not unusual for Oliel's wife. It was part of their marriage vows to have no jealousy of one another. They were both free to find companionship elsewhere. Their marriage was built on other things than ownership over one another. But it had troubled him all the same. He remembered trying to talk himself out of his disquiet when Maeve and Fergus talked and flirted and laughed together and left together. He sat morose, drinking more of the fine imported wine, sinking into sullenness and trying very hard to convince himself that he was not upset and that Maeve had every right to take any man she liked to her bed and she had done it before and she would do it again and he could too. But now he could not deny that there was something between them. Something deeper than sex. There was a connection there. That he hadn't seen her have with any other man. Not physical. Not emotional. Something almost spiritual. They seemed to match each other. And he had always thought that he was the one who matched Maeve, where no one else could. People told stories about Maeve and her appetites. And people told stories about Fergus McRoy and his. And Oliel tried to keep those stories out of his mind. Perhaps if Fergus had arrived when there was no rift between them, he and Maeve and Fergus could have found a different balance or Fergus would have been a passing fancy. But Fergus McRoy had arrived when there was already a rift between them and he had wedged himself into that rift and widened it. And now Oliel could not see a way back to where he had been. He was Maeve's consort. He was her favourite. 
And the only jealousy in Connacht was the jealousy that everybody felt when they looked at handsome, oleal and beautiful Maeve. With their arms linked and their eyes devouring one another. Oliel stopped. He had been walking through Crochonai, telling himself he was looking for somewhere to sleep. But in truth, he was pacing and restless and stewing and furious and stung and humiliated. And a thought came into his mind. All those stories people told about Maeve's appetites, about Fergus's prowess, about Fergus's mighty sword. Oliel's feet were numb now, cold against the cold flagstones, and he padded back quietly. back to the sleeping chamber where no more sounds issued from. It was a deep and heavy silence. He opened the door softly. He slipped through like a shadow. He did not look to see the two of them tangled together. Slowly, carefully, he picked his way across the floor until he found Fergus McRoy's scabbard. Softly, gently, he drew out the sword Leocon, inch by inch, not wanting to move quickly to make any sound of scraping steel. He held his breath as he drew the sword. It was so heavy, his arms trembled to hold it. But hold it, he must. And he did. Softly, softly stepping. With this huge sword held in front of him in both hands. He slipped out of the door. As soon as it was closed behind him, he felt lighter. He felt better. He leaned the flat of the sword on his shoulder and made his way to his own bedchamber. One that was seldom used when he and Maeve were on good terms. He had no real need of looking for a companion. It would have been nice to show Maeve in the morning that he had no need of her and he did not miss her 
and she was free to do what she wanted. But this was better. It was not his wife who Oliel hated. She was, he knew, as she had always been. Wild, intoxicating, consuming, passionate and free. And he loved to uplift her. To see her. To be with her. Or nearby her. Even as she drove him mad. Sometimes. It was Fergus McRoy who was the usurper of Oliel's rightful place. It was Fergus McRoy who had come here with his tales of Ulster. With his insider knowledge of how to get to that prized possession that Maeve had become obsessed with. It was Fergus McRoy who had presented her with a different solution to their argument. An invasion, a cattle raid, to bring back the brown bull of Coulee, the only equal to Oliel's white-horned Fionbanach in all of Ireland. If Fergus had never come, they would have found another way. But he'd come with all his rage and all his passion and all his secrets spilling out of him. And Oliel would not strike at him directly. But he could do this much. He wrapped the great sword Leocon, hiding it and hiding it well. And he went to sleep with a smile on his face. And he dreamed. He dreamed that he challenged Fergus to single combat. As Tinny McConry had once challenged him. And in this dream, Fergus did not realise, until it was too late, that the sword that he drew from his scabbard was only a piece of wood. <laughs>